all we've been through in the last couple years, the Lord is so good. And um, when this whole COVID thing started, I was driving down the freeway um, because everything was absolutely closed but Costco. So we were at Costco getting food. And we were coming home, my husband and I, and driving down the freeway, there was a bridge. And I've never seen this sign there before or since, but someone put up a hand-painted sign about this big. And I just happened to look up, and it said, Trust Jesus. And I just said, It's for me. I don't know about the cars behind me or in front of me, but that's for me. And I never saw it again. But I just thought the bottom line for the last two years and watching not just our country, but the world and all they've gone through and watching prophecy just before your eyes, you can see how it all fits into this perfect puzzle. I just think, trust Jesus, bottom line. With everything, trust Jesus. And um, he's been so faithful and so good, hasn't he? I wanted to tell you one thing about the pastor, Mike, that you pray for. He's our middle son, and we're laughing because one of the pastors, our good friends who knows our kids really well, called and said, you know, of all your boys, we have three boys. He said, that's the least one I would have thought could have, you know, would go through this. He, he's a good kid. He, we never had problems with him. My, my husband used to say, Michael, if you need a parent, let us know. The other two we worked on, one of them was really a rascal, so he took a great deal of time, and I said to Michael one time, I said, how come you never rebelled? And he said, well, you know all the lectures that Dad gave my older brother? Well, I was sitting in the corner listening, and it didn't seem worth it to me to misbehave, so, you know. And then when he was young, he asked the Lord when he was 12, tell me why I don't have to rebel. And the Lord led him to the book of Daniel. And he read through the book of Daniel, and he named his first son Daniel. But you know, I just watched him grow up. I watched God give him good teachers in school. And um, he was just, you know, he makes up his mind or something. He's going to do it. And his wife called me a while back, about a year and a half ago, and she said, I just want to tell you something, Mom. Mike and I have been talking, and I just want you to know, I'm giving you a heads up. We're going to go with this all the way. And we're opening our church. And I heard Michael say, we're never shutting it again. And um, that's what he had said in a sermon I was listening to. But she said, we have decided that if Michael goes to jail, he goes to jail. And if we lose our home, we lose our home. But we're not quitting, we're not stopping, and we're not backing down. We're going to go, and we're going to minister to these people that God has given us. And when the judge finally let Michael talk in court... And there were several, you know, there were times of court, and they wouldn't let him speak. And then finally, they said to the lawyer, what do you want to do? And his lawyer said, I'd like Michael to share why he stays open, his church stays open. He's in the middle of the, if you don't know, in the Silicon Valley. You know where that is in San Jose. It's not a godly place to live. They're from foreign countries and foreign gods, and they're there for the almighty dollar. And, you know, the uh, big tech companies really, I don't think, appreciate any churches there. So Dave tried to shut them all down during this time. And that's when Michael said, I'm not doing it anymore. So um, anyway, the judge finally let him talk. And Michael started talking, and he just gave him the gospel. And he said, this is what churches do. This, we minister to our people. And there are good shepherds, and there are bad shepherds. And a good shepherd takes care of his sheep. He watches over them, and he takes care of them. And judge, if I have someone they're standing 10 feet away and they're just crying. Maybe they've lost their business or a loved one or, you know, this stuff is going on in their life that's so frightening to them. And you want me to stand 10 feet away with a mask on, I can't do it. I'm going to go over there and put my arms around him. He's my sheep. And I just got to love him. They need love desperately right now. And he just went on and the judge never interrupted him. And he gave him 50 minutes. And he just said, this is what we do, and this is, I, I obey the laws of the land, I appreciate the law, we need government, all of this I agree with, except for when it comes to do I obey God or do I obey man, and I have to obey God first. This is what I do. And when he finished, he wasn't, he's very calm spoken, and I think they were expecting a wild, wild, crazy man who's going to fight for this and that, and he isn't that at all. And, and then when he was done, I was praying for the judge that day. I, I just was so burdened. I thought, this judge listens to criminals all week long. 
And he probably hasn't seen anybody like this that's just fighting for the people, that just wants to do something right. And so the judge said when he was done, he said, Michael, I respect you. He said, I would, I, I'm a religious man myself, but I haven't been to church in a while. But I, I understand what you're saying. And, you know, it, it's just the Lord has watched over him and kept him. Hasn't paid the, paid the fine yet. It was up to $3.8 million. <laughs> the judge says your fine's exorbitant. Actually, it was the largest fine in the whole country, as far as I've heard. And they've dropped all the fines in California. In fact, one of the pastors, they paid $800,000 or back whatever problems. But Michael's, they only dropped down to $2.8 million. And so it's holding, but we'll see what's going to happen. And... Um, and the Lord's watched over him, and I, I see things going around that the Lord's working for the church and the people. And, and the flip side of all that is when there's persecution, there's revival, and the church has exploded. And people going, hey, we read in the paper about your church and all the negative persecution. We all, oh, the church is open. We're going there. And so people kept coming. And so um, they have two full services. It's a large building and no more room for parking and... People are getting saved and baptized regularly, and so God's working. So I know that is answers to your prayers. So I just want to say from his mother, on behalf of our family, thank you. Because God does answer prayer. Trust Jesus. He is greater. He is greater, and he overcomes. He overcomes the devil. He overcomes the world. So just hang in there, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers, you answer our prayers, and that you love us. Lord, open up your word to us tonight. Speak to our hearts those things, Lord, individually that you want us to know and see out of it. Lord, encourage each one in this room, and um, just give them a vision for their future, and Lord, what you want them to do. And so we just give you this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you will, to one of my favorite stories in the scripture, John chapter 4. You probably know this story. If you've been in church for a long time, you've probably read it and heard it many times. But, you know, it never gets old. And every time you read God's word, there's always something fresh. Have you ever noticed that? I think God's word is living. It's alive. And it's, you know, it just speaks to you that day, just the things you needed to hear. You ever gone to bed at night and you just wake up and you go, in the middle of the night, oh, everything looks so bad. And this problem is so huge. And you're just doing about it. And then finally you go back to sleep. You wake up in the morning and you pick up the word and you start reading and God answers exactly what you thought about in the night. Have you ever had that happen? I just love that. I go, this is alive. This book is alive. And the Holy Spirit is working. And I just, I'm so thankful. I think Jesus went back to the Father after the ascension. And he said, Father, they need a lot of help down there. So we need to send them the helper, the Holy Spirit. And we need to send them a book <laughs> to teach them how to live and what they're supposed to do. And the, and the Holy Spirit will teach it to them. And um, I just love that. He thought of everything we needed. And it's right here at our fingertips. Isn't that awesome? It's just so great. Well, in this chapter, it's a story about a woman that Jesus has a divine appointment with. She has no name. She's simply a Samaritan woman from the city of Sychar. And you know, it's really interesting that only John in all the Gospels is the only one who records this story. And I'm so glad that he did, because it's in such beautiful detail here. It's truly one of the great scenes in the Bible. And I love to think of this story as a great teaching tool on how to witness. You know, when I, I grew up around those hippies, I was never a hippie, I admit. I, I, nobody offered me drugs, I don't know. I just, and, and I grew up in a Christian school and I was in church, so, but I just, you know, the, the Campus Crusade came along and they told us how to witness. And they gave us a little book and they said, you, you approach people on the beach and you say, do you know that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? How many of you have heard of this? Where have you people been? <laughs> Campus Crusade was here for a long time. But see, this just shows how old I am. 
But it was a great tool because you could go to someone, did you know God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? That's very appealing. And then you let them down the road to salvation. Would you like to receive the Lord? And, and so in this, Jesus is going to meet with this woman and he is going to show us in this chapter a great way to witness to people. Because sometimes you ever go, I'm not sure how to approach it or, you know, Lord, just open the door. Why don't you just have them ask me, how do you get saved? That would be easy. <laughs> but it's not always that easy. You need to strike a conversation. So this, this book, um, this chapter is good and explains it so well. Well, verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't do the baptizing but his disciples, he left Judea and he departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. I underline that in my Bible in yellow. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which would be noon, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? There's nothing new about racial issues. You know, I, I just think if you go through history, people have problems with people. And you know what? When you know Jesus, you don't. Because you, God says they'll know you are Christians by your love for everybody. And that's what we do. And that's one of the ways you do witness to people. You just love on them. It never helps when you go to someone and say, you know, um, you're going to hell in a handbasket. That is never going to go over well. You, do, you need to just love on them. I mean, you know, bring them cookies if they're in the neighborhood. Show them that you love them. Let them see God's peace in your life, and they'll be drawn to you. That's how you witness. And so Jesus is sitting there, and so he's going to approach her on an issue that she understands. She is going to get water, and so he says, may I have a drink? Please give me a drink. And she's shocked because the Jews did not, they were very prideful, they had nothing to do with the Samaritans because the Samaritans had you know, intermarried. And so they weren't full-blooded Jews, and so the Jews that were very prideful and all their genealogy went, we're not having anything to do with those people. And so they had their own area of worship, their own city, and Jesus went out of his way to talk to her, and she's in shock. Not only because she was Samaritan, but she's a woman. And she could probably tell he's a teacher, leader. He was, you know, presented that way maybe. And she just thought, why are you talking to me? And I just love it because Jesus just did it. I just loved on her right from the beginning. And so she was really, when you think of it, she had a Syrian blood in her too. And, and so they were the poor outcasts of that area with all the prejudice going on. And it says... Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why? He had an appointment with this woman. She didn't know it. But he said he always did the will of the Father. So the Father had led him this way on this day for this woman. Do you ever wonder through the day when things happen, like why did that happen, and later you realize it was an appointment from God? You know, someone calls and you're thinking, I don't have time, i got to get out the door, and you take it. And there's someone desperate that needs to talk to you and you need to minister to them. I just love divine appointments. You know, take time for them because they're really, really important. And I think, I look back sometimes, I go, I almost missed that. I almost missed it. Thank you, Jesus, for not letting me miss it. This woman had no hope as we are going to look at her life and no future. And Jesus, the Son of God, creator of the whole universe, was made flesh and dwelt among us. We just went not long ago to the Ark. Have you heard of the Ark, Noah's Ark in Kentucky? Well, we, how many of you been? Oh, great. Isn't it wonderful? We just went. Mike took us, our son, actually. And um, we went through it. And the thing that meant so much to me, I always wanted to see Noah's Ark. I love the story, and I wanted to see it and the size. And, but in the Creation Museum, you sit down, and it has one of those panoramic things where actually your seats tilt and it's the universe and it starts and it shows you the earth 
And then it goes through the whole universe showing you all the stars, all, and we become smaller and smaller. And the end of the whole journey through the universe, which is bazillions, it flashes back to our solar system and to the Earth. We are nothing. And I think we are absolutely nothing. And Jesus came for us and that whole universe. And he named all those stars. He knows them all by name. He created them. And yet he came for us. And I think, and he came for this woman on this day. You know what? How can you not love a Lord like that? How amazing is that? He came to save us in John 3.16. He came to die on the cross for us to suffer. He came for this lonely woman. And so going through this part of the country that day was part of his plan. For he knew exactly when she would be there. You know, sometimes... We, we just get such messed up lives. And maybe before you came to Christ, you just had a messed up life. And you're so thrilled with what Jesus has done for you. And sometimes just curiosity can just mess up your life. And you're young and you're, you're playing in the world. And, and it's a mess. We have three boys. And so we decided early on um, that we just needed to leave home once in a while and take the boys and go camping. Because when you're in a minister's family, the phone rings a lot, you're helping people, you're working, you're teaching, you're always going. So we knew, the Lord just really spoke to us, that we needed to spend time with those boys or we were going to lose every one of them. And so we did. And the boys are all adults now. My oldest is 50. And they, and they just say the most fun times going up is when we went camping. And we would um, go out, and it was just really fun for the kids. Well, we'd camp with people in the church, other people that had kids our kids' age, and Sometimes it'd be just in the mountains above where our houses and our church was, and the women and the kids would go up there, and the mans would come up at night, and they'd go back to work and back and forth, but the kids had so much fun. And I remember one day that um, our youngest son, who was always very curious and into everything and not afraid of much, he, um, he, come, he came flying through the park, and the girls were screaming, my girlfriend's girls. They're just screaming at him. And he comes flying through the park, and he's heading right for me. He's probably about seven, six or seven. And what had happened was he was really curious as to how deep the outhouse was. So he decided, I'll find out by dropping a huge rock in it. Well, it wasn't very deep. So I had splashed up on his face. I'm sorry, girls, but you've already eaten. It's okay now. And so obviously the girls are screaming their heads off. He looks like a monster running through the park. And they know what's happened. And so he's coming towards me. And I go, don't get near me. <laughs> don't touch me. There's a hose. Go wash yourself off. And I think, that's what we do sometimes. We think, I'm not going to listen to my parents, or I'm not going to listen to the pastor, or you know, you know people like this. You know teenagers like this. And they go, we're going to just try it. We're just going to play a little bit. We're just curious. What's it like? And they get really messed up. And you know what? It's, it's not worth it. But God is in the business of forgiving. And this woman got really messed up in her life. Now, the disciples had gone to um, Chick-fil-A down the street to get food for Jesus. And Jesus was hot and thirsty, and he sat down by the well waiting. He was ministering to people always and in huge crowds, healing the sick. And John just paints such a great human picture of Jesus that he was weary, and he sat down. Now, women came to draw water in the cool of the evening, usually, and this woman's coming at noon. So this tells you something. You know, in every phrase in the Bible, there's, it's meaningful if you really read into it. And for her to come at noon told you that she didn't want to meet anybody else. She didn't want to see any other women. Now, I would think it'd be great fun as a woman in those days. In the evening, you gather your, you know, your clay pots, and you go to the well, and you draw water, and you're walking with your girlfriends and the other women, and you're talking about who's getting engaged and who's falling in love and who's having a baby. And, you know, you're just having all this camaraderie, but not her. She comes in the hottest part of the day in a deserty kind of country because she doesn't want to see anybody, because really no one in town likes her and no one wants to be with her can you imagine how lonely that would be what she didn't know was that the only thing God really expects from us is failure we're going to fail without him that's why Jesus came and so she was going to fail and she did 
And I think when you're witnessing to people, they often avoid God because they think they aren't good enough. Have you ever witnessed to someone and they go, you don't know me, he wouldn't want me. And I want to go, no, you're just the one he wants. He came for sinners, not the righteous that didn't think they needed him. And so he came for her. Women drew water in the cool of the day, and she did not. And she comes by herself, no girlfriends. She was a social outcast and a nation of outcasts. I think that uh, J. Vernon McGee said she was a wheelbarrow a barrel full of dirt who could hardly lift it up anymore. It's a great description. Well, Mike, Pastor Mike, Mike and Brenda have seven children. I know. She's good. <laughs> when my last son was getting, he got engaged, they called us to say, we got engaged, and this new daughter-in-law-to-be says, I just want to tell you something. I'm never going to be able to do for you what Brenda has done for you. <laughs> I said, I wouldn't expect it. I couldn't do it myself. <laughs> but they love kids. She's a school teacher, and they love, they love children. So they planned these children. They're great. But number three, I just number them now. Number three, they had four boys and three girls. And the third boy is Joshua. And Michael was watching the kids when they were little. They maybe only had four at the time, three or four. And, uh, and he disappears. And so Michael says, I don't know where he's gone, so I go outside now. He's told he can't go in the street. He can only go as far as the gutter. That's it. And so he's looking, and Joshua's probably about three years old. So he looks, and there he is, and he is in the driveway. He's bent over, and he's sucking in gutter water. And he yells, Joshua, spit it out. So Joshua spits it out, which makes it great fun for a boy. And he brings him in the house, and a little while later, he disappears again. Where did Joshua go? He's looking. So he goes in the backyard, and there's a mud puddle, and Joshua's sucking in mud water. And then he has to spit it out. Joshua, spit it out. Now, this is the sad part of the story. Mike and Brenda had spent a, a certain good amount of money on a reverse osmosis system of purifying their water in the kitchen. So they didn't even have to buy bottled water anymore. They had this whole system set up in the kitchen. But no, Joshua is out sucking in gutter water <laughs> and mud water. And that's what we do sometimes. And that's what this woman had done. She had been sucking in gutter water for a long time because she didn't know Jesus and who he was. So Jesus asked her for a drink. How wonderful. The living water, the water of life, asked this poor, lonely, empty woman for a drink. As I was studying this part of the story, music was playing in our house, worship music. And there was a song that we used to sing many years ago. You've probably not heard of it, but it went, So now I stand in the presence of the king, in the presence of one who made everything. So now I stand in your presence, Lord, and I lift up my voice and sing. And I just pictured her standing there in the presence of the Lord. She didn't know who she was standing in front of, but I just think what an awesome, I wish I could just have a snap picture of that scene. Here we find a Savior who was tender and compassionate with people. That's what Jesus does, willing to enter into the life of other people that are hurting to help them. I've just been reading through the book of Mark and it's, it, it's just so amazing, all of the miracles he did. And I think sometimes he, he entered into the crowd and he ministered to the most hurting person there. You know, when you, when you look at that, like the pool of Bethesda, that guy had been there crippled for 38 years and he went right over to him. Another woman, 12 years, she was bent over. I picture her bent over at the waist so she couldn't stand up, 12 years. He zeroed right in on her and healed her. And that's what he does. He sees us, the most hurting ones, and he ministers to us. And he's going to address her issues. He starts talking to her about water because that's where they were. And that's a really great way to start witnessing. You know, talk about where you're at or what's going on. And, you know, like sometimes in a plane, what are you reading? You know, and then um, it's amazing the conversations that will take place. Or if you're reading your Bible on the plane, people may say, oh, I haven't read my Bible in a while, or where are you in that? And I had one girl, I think I learned my Bible to read it on a plane. But you know what? It's just, it's a great way to witness to people. Start where you're at. You know, Michael, Mike was in, I think it was... Um, Lowe's or Home Depot, 
and um, they were freaking out because they didn't have a mask on that day. And I think they were just letting up on some of the mandates somewhere and somewhere. And, and so this guy would just start freaking out. And he said, you know, you don't have to be afraid if you know Jesus. They were so afraid. And he was saying, you don't have to be afraid. And I'll put my mask on because I don't want you to lose your job. But, you know, I'm going to just tell you about fear. And you don't have to be afraid. Jesus will help you. And, you know, talk to them about where they're at and what's going on and just witnessing to her. So he, he talked to her about water. Do you know that water is huge? We can't live very long without it. We can live a long time without food. That tells us something. But we can only live, like, what, four days without water? And so people get water. Most all the major cities in the world are built on water system, Paris, London. Rome had to build an aqueduct so that they could get water into the city. And how in the end they were defeated by the enemy armies is because they knocked down the aqueduct and the city couldn't get water so the people had to disperse. So water's huge. In California, we have to have water coming from Northern California down aqueduct all the way to LA because we didn't have enough water down in LA and I'm, I'm from Southern California. Colorado has to send their water to Arizona. Water's huge. Water rights are huge in this country. So Jesus is going to paint this picture of her with, um, with water. She, um, I'm sure, is suffering in so many ways. And he wanted her to know who he was. How is he going to approach that with her? And so he says to her, give me a drink. And she looks and says, why are you asking? And then he goes on and he said to her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's saying this to you, give me a drink, you'd ask him and he would have given you living water. Now he's got her attention. Living water? The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of the water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Oh, she wants this. She is sick of coming to the well in the heat of the day. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. I kind of think of the medicine man going across the country in covered wagons and they had all of their tonics that they were selling and, you know, all of that. And, and they'd say, oh, give me that. It'll help my rheumatism or my pain or whatever, you know. And, and so her problem was getting water. And he said, the water I have, you'll never thirst again. That would erase a bunch of her problems. I want it. Where can I get this water? Can you give it to me? But the thing is, he had to do something first with her. And, and, and witnessing this is so important. And Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. Now he had her. Because you see, before she could have the living water, she had to understand what this conversation was about. And the conversation was about you're a sinner and you need a savior because without repentance there's no remission if you don't confess and you don't repent you can't be forgiven so it's really important when you minister to people and pray with them and say repent and, and say Jesus I'm sorry for all my sins forgive me from my sins it's huge repentance and so he has to get her to know I know who you are I know all about you and he says to her you have rightly spoken. I have no husband, for you have had five, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. And in that you spoke the truth. Married five times. How discouraging that would be. How sad for her. She was disillusioned. Her character was gone. She had lost all confidence in human nature. She couldn't really trust anybody anymore. She was isolated. If the good people in town saw her, they looked the other way or they looked down on her, gave her a dirty look. And so she's there at noon alone. <laughs> she's probably thinking, how do you know that? Now, today, 
we don't think of divorce like they did then. We did a few years ago. My grandmother lived in Minnesota, and she had a cousin who got a divorce. And it was so scandalous in those days, 100 years ago, that she had her cousin come in the back door. She wouldn't let her in the front door. We live in a different world today. I actually understand this woman. She was married five times. Hello, look at Hollywood, look at people, and they just can't find happiness. So they keep trying to find it in, in a mate or something else. And so here she is going through all of this. And she had thought that men could meet her need, but they can't, as you know, how many of you are married? <laughs> You know, you get married and you think, they're going to be perfect, they're going to love me, they're going to meet all my needs, they're going to bring me coffee in bed in the morning, they're going to do this and that, and you, hello, how's it going? <laughs> and some husbands are, they're just great and easy, but you know what, none of us are perfect, and he can't meet all your needs, just like you're not going to be able to meet all of his. And we think it's their job to make us happy, and they think it's our job to make them happy, but this is the truth. Only Jesus can make you happy. If you look to people, you'll always be disappointed because they're not Jesus. They're not perfect, just like you aren't, and you're not perfect. And so if we look to the Lord, our marriages are much happier. Because when we see things in them that are weakness, so why do we pray for them and love them? And that is so important to them. You know what? Women just want to be loved. We want to marry the knight in shining armor. We want him to take care of us, and we want them to love us. Do you know what men want? Ephesians tells us. They want respect. And so many times we miss that respect part. And I remember that uh, Chuck Smith, who was the pastor of the First Calvary Chapel, his wife told us, don't ever talk against your husband to other people, ever. And I'm not saying if you need counseling, don't get help from you know, your pastor or someone. But don't go in a group of women and they start complaining about, have you been in a group like this? They said, you know what my husband does? Oh, yeah. And then they're laughing and complaining. And then, and then you go, yeah, you know what mine does? And then you get home that night, and you're so mad at your husband, he has no idea what he did. <laughs> so just don't go there with people. I remember one of the girls in our church, she, they were an adorable couple, both really tall, cute couple. They had married in college, and they were so in love. And people in church would come to her in the foyer, and they'd go, which one is your husband? And she'd say, the really cute one over there. You know, he just adored her. And so that's a little secret I'm passing on from marriage for you to go home with you that are married and your husband won't. Don't tell him I told you. You just do it, okay? <laughs> well, she'd had five, and she was looking for hope in a marriage, and it just wasn't going to be there. She had thought men could meet her need, and they can't. Je only Jesus can fill that empty spot in our hearts. And we want to fill it with everything else. I know a lot of women that did, and I know many that have gotten a divorce. And they look for the husband to, take, to be perfect. Then they thought, we'll have children. That'll make us happy. I'm not going there. And then <laughs> they can, but some days, you know, are a little difficult. Maybe in the teenage years. And then they get discouraged, so then there's drugs and alcohol. And then they want a new house or new furniture or a new car or money or clothes, all of that, let's, let's keep. But you know something? It's never enough. And that's exactly what Satan did in the garden. He went to Eve and said, you can be like God, just eat the fruit. And why did she think, I want to be like God? Because she's thinking, you mean there's more? I want that. I want to be that. I, I want. I want to be like that. And she's dissatisfied with what she has. If she'd only known what she had, walking with God in the cool of the day was going to be gone. And so we often look at it in other people. Now she changes the subject, and I, I, this is so typical when you're witnessing. If you ever get personal with people, they're gonna change often the subject. And she says, let's, let's talk about worship. Let's not talk about my marriages, okay? This is getting personal. We're not going there. You know, where should we worship? You ever have someone talk to you about theology and religion, and they want to get into it when you want to witness to them? And this is just what she did. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. I just love this. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem as a place. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, 
we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. It's going to come through the Messiah who is Jewish. But the hour's coming and now is. Why is the now hour now is? Because he's right in front of her. It's now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Where the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I am right before you. The hour is now. I have come. I am the Messiah. If you will worship in spirit and in truth, you'll get it. This is not an idol. This is not a situation where you're going to do this whole philosophy or this whole program. This is life. This is spirit. And the Holy Spirit can come into you. But you've got to worship him through truth and God's word and by the Holy Spirit. I mean, this in a nutshell just just is beautiful explanation to her. And then I love this. She says to him, well, I know a Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things, which tells me she's looking. She had heard about the Messiah and maybe she's thinking, if I only could know him, I'll be okay again. And I think God the Father, of course, knew that and sent Jesus that day to go find her. Because the scripture says in Jeremiah, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. And maybe that's a good way to witness. Are you seeking Jesus? Have you ever sought help? I know an answer for you. And so he says to her, I who speak to you am he. And she got it. She got it just like that. It's like the Holy Spirit bore witness with her. And she looked into his face and she got it. And she knew who he was and she believed in him. And he changed her. So much so that she left her water pot and ran to town. I am he. You see, there were certain things she didn't know. She didn't know that religion could save her. That's why she was talking about the worship. And she didn't know that salvation was free, that she didn't have to work for it. Some people don't. They, they will tell you, if I'm a good person, if I'm good enough, I'll get to go to heaven. And you can say that's not true. You know, I, uh, my husband's sister, Marilyn, grew up with a gal named um, Carlene and they were just best friends forever, through junior high, high school, and college, and after they got married. And we all started going to this crazy hippie church called Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. And all of these kids were getting saved off the beaches, and it was like pouring in. And they came with their big Bibles, and they were so hungry. And my sister-in-law thought, I have to tell my friend how to get saved, because Marilyn and my sister-in-law is a Christian. And she realized that Colleen wasn't getting it. So one day she finally thought, you know, sometimes it's harder to witness to your family and best friend. It's easier with strangers. And so she finally broke through that and she said, Colleen, do you know what it means to be a Christian? And she said, well, yeah, you have to be a good person. No, Colleen, that's not it. You need to be born again. And you know what happened? The tears started rolling down Colleen's face and she said, why didn't you ever explain this to me before? Why didn't you tell me? And she prayed and received Christ. Sometimes someone's just waiting. And you're shy and thinking you're going to offend them. Don't worry about it. It's much better to offend them than them not be in heaven with you. And so Colleen came to Christ, and she's in heaven now. The Lord took her home a few years ago from cancer. But, you know, she was on fire for the Lord. It was so neat. So this woman totally changed. And we know that she changed because she left her water pot. I don't know why. Maybe it was because she didn't want it. She didn't care anymore about that. She found a lot better water. Maybe she didn't want to be hindered by the weight of that water pot. She left it maybe to let him know that she was coming back. I will be back, but I'm bringing the town with me. And she runs into town. Now, this is kind of interesting. The woman then left her water pot, went her way and into the city. But just before that, it says, at this point, the disciples showed up with Chick-fil-A. 
And when they come, they marveled that he was talking to a woman, this Samaritan. They're marveling. Yet no one said anything to him. What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? No one said it. But the woman left her water pot. She ran to town, and she, and I love this part. She says, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Now, I have to tell you, if I were the man in that town, I'd be real nervous. <laughs> I'm sure that the wives did not want that woman talking to any of their husbands. But the men are probably thinking, oh, no, what did he tell her? And, you know, what about me? And whatever it was, they all, she had a reputation. And so she says, come see this man. And the thing is, you know she's changed. You know she's come to the Lord because she's not afraid to go do this. If she was still guilty from her sin, she would slithered back into town and hid in her house. But out and out in the public square, she goes, come on, you got to meet him. I saw the one who told me all I did. And before, she doesn't want to talk about all she did, even with Jesus, before she realized that he was her savior. So then they went out of the city and they came to Jesus, the men. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do not say, There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are already white to harvest. And I would say that to you today. You open your eyes and you look to the fields. There are people out there desperate for Jesus Christ. They're sitting home and they're watching fake news. They're watching news that is depressing to them. I mean, you can watch any of the channels and be discouraged because you're seeing what's happening all over the world in this country and you're going, is, is this ever going to get better? I'm, and people are depressed. I remember one time I said uh, to Mike, my son, I said, especially where he lives in the Bay Area, people were angry, really angry. If you didn't have your mask on or you didn't behave in a certain way, they would actually yell at you. They'd drive down the street and curse at you. It was really bad. And I said, what's wrong with these people up here? They're so mad. I mean, you know, in Southern California, they didn't get, some did, <laughs> but not so mad. And I go, what's wrong with them? And Mike said, Mom, they're afraid. I said, what are they afraid of? He said, they're afraid they're going to die, and they don't know where they're going, and I got it. And I began to look past the masks and into their eyes, and I saw fear. And I just try and smile at them and try and give them a word when you can give them a word. Like, you don't have to be afraid if you know Jesus. You know, you have the answer. You are the light of the world. You have Jesus living in you, and he's the answer. He is the one that overcomes the world. If you have him living inside of you, then he is the one that overcomes the world. These things, he says in John 16, our theme verse, these things I have spoken unto you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. Are we having tribulation? But take courage. I love that. He always knows how to talk to us. Take courage. I I have overcome the world. And Jesus overcame the world. And he overcame her problems. And you know what? The man came back, and many, many were saved in that town because of the word of the woman, and then later, just watching the whole process, they came to Christ. She was a missionary to her town. Isn't that awesome? Brand new Christian, just saved. You know Sandy McIntosh? You know Sandy. Did she ever tell you how she got saved? She grew up in a good home, going to church some, but she wasn't born again. So Mike told her she needed to go to that hippie church and go to a baptism at the beach. So she, she goes, okay. So she goes down to the baptism, and she gets in line. And this guy standing in front of her turns around and he says, oh, hi, when did you get saved? And she said, well, I don't know. He said, well, I got saved two weeks ago. I can tell you how to do it. And he leads her to Christ, and she gets saved. And she goes out and gets baptized. 
coming out of the water filled with the Holy Spirit. Amazing. A two-week-old Christian. This woman was just like saved by moments and she gets to town. And the man come running out and they get saved. It was a divine appointment. Jesus didn't go out of his way, you see, for her. She was his way. She was his way. He has overcome the world and he can overcome the sins in her life. He can overcome the flesh. He can overcome your past. Sometimes we come to the Lord, we get saved, but Satan takes us back to guilt. Ever had that happen? And bad days and bad nights, you, you start feeling guilty about your past. You know what? That is not of God. That is straight from the enemy because he wants to put a snare in you to defeat you. He's always out to divide and defeat. And you just say, in the name of the Lord Jesus, get behind me, Satan. And you start singing praises to the Lord. He loves your praises. And you just watch him overcome the enemy. He will. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He wants to make us beautiful on the inside and change us to new creatures in Christ. He is what she had spent her lifetime searching for. He had all the answers she needed. He had joy for her. He had peace for her. He had a hope for her future. He has a word for you today, too. What is that word for you? He was the one needful thing she needed in her life. And he was the only one who could bring her peace and joy. If you drink of the water that I will give you, he says, you'll never thirst again. She didn't know that she was thirsty when she went to the well that day for something more than just H2O. She didn't know Jesus was her Savior, the Messiah. She didn't know that she didn't have to be perfect to come to God. She didn't know that Jesus had come for sinners, those who hurt, those who were needy, those who were subject and rejected to, by other people. She didn't know you can't hide from God. He knows all things. And she didn't know that Jesus loved her. Isn't that a great story? How do you know, girls ask me, when you're in love? And I thought about that. And I realized I knew I was in love with my husband before we were married. We, we met in church, by the way, in the college department. And I thought he was, he was really neat and funny and that I heard he had really loved the Lord. And we fell madly in love, and we got engaged. We were engaged for a year, and then we got married and went on to Bible school in England after we finished college. But this is how I knew I was in love. This is key. I never wanted to go out with anyone else again. I didn't have eyes for anybody else. I only had eyes for him. And we've been married over 50 years, and we still love each other. That's what God can do in a marriage. Are we perfect? No. Have we had rough times? Yes. Sometimes we were raising those teenagers. It was a little difficult. But you know what? God will get you through those things. He will take care of those things in your life. All those problems that come up, they don't need to come between you and your husband. Jesus said in John 7, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In the end of the book, in Revelation 21, verse 6, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who is thirsty. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful chapter in your word. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit had John put it down for us. Lord, teach us how to witness to people around us that so desperately need to hear. Lord, maybe they're searching for you. Open those doors, open our eyes to see them, Lord, and to minister. Lord, we just pray for everyone in this room that you will just give them that, Lord, that spirit of evangelism, that they will see a hungry, desperate world, afraid, afraid to die. And Lord, we have the answers. Make us bold in this church. 
May this church be known, Lord, by reaching out to the lost, by helping others, leading them to you to drink of the water, the living water. I don't know, but I just want to give an opportunity. Keep all your eyes closed for a minute. Is there anyone in this room tonight that you're not sure if you've been born again? You think, maybe I have, but I don't know. I want you to know. I don't want you to leave this retreat, this room, without accepting Jesus. Just raise your hand. Everybody else, keep your eyes closed. I just want to pray for you. And some of you just might not be sure. I just want you to be really, really sure that if you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven. Yes, I see that. Are there others? Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Jesus, just watch over each soul in this room. If you are not sure, Jesus is calling you. He loves you so much. He just wants to give you this living water. This will be the best decision you've ever made in your life. Is there anyone else? I don't want to miss anyone. Yes, I see that hand. I'm going to wait a minute. I see that hand. More and more of you. Jesus, just speak to their hearts. Just lift your hand. It's so easy to do. He loves you. He brought you here tonight for this reason. He wants to save you. Yes, I see that hand. Everyone keep your eyes closed. And I'm going to pray with you that have raised your hand. And in your hearts, I want you to say this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me from all of my sins. And Lord, I want you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior, my Messiah. Lord, I want you to fill up my life and I want to walk with you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to follow you. Help me, Lord Jesus, to do that. And thank you, Lord, that you have done that because I asked you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life. In Jesus' name. There were several of you, actually, that raised your hand tonight. I'm so happy. Sometimes we think, well, we all, we all are Christians. But you know what? Sometimes we're not really sure. And I wanted you to be so sure. Because we don't know how long we have. We never know. And I don't want you to miss heaven. I want you to be there. I want to see your face up there. And I want to say this to you. If you're a new Christian tonight, the best thing you can do is show up at church, go to Bible studies, and get in this book every day. You know, ask your pastor's wives for good devotional books and your friend. Get deeper ones. It is the best thing you can do. I'm not kidding you. It is so great to go to bed at night. And I think, in the morning I get to get up and get that cup of coffee. There's a reason God invented the coffee bean, okay? (laughs) Tea, whatever it is. And have a place in your house where you meet Jesus in the morning. He's waiting for you. And you get out his word. In the back of this Bible, I have a plan to go through the whole Bible in a year, and I follow it. So I'm on my, I think, 13th year getting through. It's been awesome because I see how it all ties together. And I forget stuff, too. So when I go back, I go, oh, right. That's so perfect how it ties together. And I grow, and you'll grow. And let me tell you this. It's not all about you. It might be about someone else who's calling you that day and saying, you know what? I'm in this desperate situation. I need help. And maybe you read a scripture in the morning that applies to them. So it's not all about you. It's about those around you. Go out and be witnesses, girls. And the Lord is going to use you mightily in Miami. Amen.